0: We turn once again to Exodus chapter 20. Most of you recognize that chapter as being indeed holy ground. The Lord speaking from Mount Sinai and giving us the Ten Commandments. Last week, remember, we began thinking taking a telescopic view before we take a microscopic view of the commandments. We're kind of just dialoguing about the Decalogue, so to speak, seeing some generalities as you, as you, as you oversee the, the Ten Commandments. And earlier we enumerated them, and it's good to keep that uh, number in mind and and uh, which ones are first, and so on. Remember, number one, we'll do it one more time. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And the idea is to bow down and worship them. Images of God, that is. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And number ten, thou shalt not covet. Keep these ten commandments in mind as we, as we look at these in a telescopic way. The Ten Commandments, ancient but not antiquated, venerable, indeed divine, majestic. These words, they're words, they're in words, they're in messages, the Lord spoke from Mount Sinai. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the chapter after the Ten Commandments are repeated, the Lord says that these words shall be in our hearts. That is, they should be memorized and meditated upon. They're to be taught to our children when we sit, when we walk, when we uh, lie down, when we rise up. Thirdly, they're to be obeyed. That's the idea of uh, putting them as a sign upon your hands and as frontlets on your eyes. And, and even displayed, for they shall be posted on your post, on your and on your gates. So these words are to be uh, in our hearts. First of all, taught to our children, obeyed and displayed. In some of our buildings and our government buildings, there are the dis- there's the display of the Ten Commandments, which many want to uh, tear down these days. Every home should have the Ten Commandments. Uh, at least on a plaque on our walls. I think we have downstairs here, but it certainly would be a, a, a appropriate upstairs as well. So we're, we're looking at some, we're just give, making some observations and conclusions as our introduction into the study of each command itself and just kind of taking a, a view an objective view of the Ten Commandments. And we started this last week. For instance, if you if you were there and you're following the scripture, you would have obviously been prepared for the reading of the Ten Commandments by the audio and visual effects on the mountain. So it should the idea there is the Lord wanted them to, to feel the awe inspiring nature of God and his word. And they heard uh thunderings they saw lightning they heard a trumpet blast getting louder and louder all the while the, the mountain was smoking it was on fire and Hebrews 12 tells us there was a, a storm that was there it was a tempest and all that combined no doubt to obviously frighten the people but as Moses said earlier the, 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 the scariness was not the primary intention we just read together, God has come to pr- uh, fear not, he says, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. Sounds contradictory, but it shows us there's two kinds of fear there's a frightening fear, where he says, fear not, and then there's a reverential awe, a, a, a reverent fear of God, the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And that's what he says he wanted th- to convey not to frighten them by all these audio-visual effects, but to prepare them and to set the scene that this was an atmosphere that was, that was distinct, that was of God. There should be an aura about God and His Word uh, that should surround us, as it were, that we come into God's presence with reverence and joy. That's a blessed balance. If there's only reverential awe and no joy, we, we, we can become very static and 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 uh, heartless. But then the, if there's only joy, we, we can spill over into being frivolous and, and not being respectful of God. There has to be that balance. And the Lord wanted to show them that this was a sacred record, a sacred uh, text that He was going to read to them and he was teaching them to have a respectful re- approach to God and His Word. And so often, it's that's not the atmosphere in in congregations today. There can be such frivolity and uh, self-centeredness and man-centeredness when we come into the presence of God and we worship Him. His, we should sense His presence and that we should prepare ourselves appropriately uh, there's nothing like this document of the Ten Commandments. It shows us the need of the Gospel because we see our sin by the Ten Commandments, but it also honors the Gospel because it drives us to Christ. And it is a schoolmaster, as Galatians tells us, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to be awe, have awe-inspiring uh, respect and love for the Lord. The second thing, perhaps, is, is just the fact that it was audible. His voice was audible. Moses was not reading the Ten Commandments here. God spoke. It says, and God, and God spake all these words, saying. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 4, it says he was face to face with the people. In other words, vital, it, was, it would be of vital importance. You know, it's one thing if if someone is assigned to read a document, but it's another thing if, say, the the president himself reads the document, or the the, the president of a company, and you see that what what are they doing here? Normally, they have someone else convey the message, but the Lord wanted to convey it himself. He wanted to directly give it, not indirectly. That shows you how important this is, and he. Told them to prepare two days. They were to wash their clothes, and that's obviously it's a picture of the inner purity, the in, inner heart that was to be to be prepared, and even not to come to their wives. In other words, that he was teaching them that he was priority. They were to the relationship with God was paramount. Were to seek first the Lord. Were to love him above all, and so the voice of God would. Deuteronomy calls a great voice. I mean, it's, it's it's easy to read through that, isn't it? Just to step back and just think that, as loud as the thunders were, and as seemingly distracting and horrifying and frightening, were was the fire and the, and the loudness of the tempest and the loud trumpet? They heard God. That doesn't say that all these other effects ceased when God spoke. Now maybe they did. I Again, we're not given all the information, but I'm assuming they were still going on and God's voice was above them all. Obviously, it would have terrorized anybody and frightened anyone. Even Moses, as close as he was to God, says, I exceedingly fear and quake. He he said he quaked like the mountain that was quaking. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12. And so the Lord was obviously saying, This is important. I'm speaking myself. You know, you hear people say, oh, the Bible was written by man. Well, God wanted to show his wisdom by dictating to man. He could have written all the Bible himself. But we know there were portions of the Bible he did speak and write himself. And we know that this, the Ten Commandments, indeed, is an example of that. And we know that, for instance, the writing on the plaster behind King Belshazzar Revealed in Daniel 5, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting, is another evidence of God writing himself. And then we're not told, but Jesus, remember, was sitting on, on, on the ground and they wanted, to, they wanted to know if they should stone the woman caught in adultery. And he just turned and wrote something on the ground. And then they continued to badger him. Should we not stone her? You remember Jesus said, uh, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. But wonder, people wonder, and there's all kinds of imaginings, what did he write on the ground? And The best I've heard, which may not be true, but he wrote the sins of the Pharisees who said, should we stone her? Well, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And why didn't they bring the, the adulterer to Jesus? It wasn't just the, the woman that was involved. What, what What happened to the man? Why did they leave him at home? Why did they not bring him to... To, to, to court. You can see the hypocrisy. But God spoke these words Himself, how important they are to us and should be. Thirdly, the Bible also calls these commandments obviously we we, we understand them as commandments, but they're called the ten words in Exodus 34 and, for instance, Deuteronomy 10. Not just the commandments, but words. In other words, they're messages. They're, they have content. Uh, they're not just, just uh, generalizations. There's, there's meaning. There's a thrust. God is communicating, He's teaching us by these words. There's distinct doctrine found in the Ten Commandments. In other words, the Ten Commandments are moral in nature. Now, there were, we believe there are three divisions of God's laws in the Old Testament, as Israel was a theocracy. There were civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws. And the civil and ceremonial laws have had an honorable burial, as it were. They've retired, but the moral law remains. And The Ten Commandments were not under the civil and ceremonial laws. They were under their moral in nature. They originated not at Sinai. They originated at creation. God put the Ten Commandments on the consciences of human beings. And they even were keeping the Sabbath day before Sinai, as we read in Exodus chapter 16. And even it says of Abraham, uh, Genesis 26, that he... He kept the commandments of God. And so this is not something new at Sinai. But they're they're words. And that's why we call it the Decalogue, Ten Words. We're dialoguing about the Decalogue. And indeed, these are messages from God. They're instructions as to what pleases the Lord and how we ought to live uh, in Christ. Next, we see, indeed, they were commandments. And that's they're called the Ten Commandments in the Scriptures. And so, obviously, this speaks of God's authority. He didn't give ten suggestions. He didn't give options for us. He, he gave them in the form of imperatives. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. They're clearly imperative. In other words, He's showing His Lordship. His sovereignty. Now, in Exodus, he takes us back to creation. He says, I'm your creator, therefore you ought to obey me. Because he, for instance, in, in, in the fourth commandment, he says, The Lord made heaven and earth in six days and rested the seventh. He takes us back to creation. But he also includes the exodus i am the lord thy god which brought thee out of the land of egypt and in deuteronomy he only goes back to exodus he doesn't go back to the um, well he, he, he adds the, the redemption from exodus in the fourth commandment not just the, the creation in other words the lord's saying as your creator and as your redeemer i have the right to command you i mean it's, it should be obvious to us who has the right to command us our Creator, if we're creatures, our Creator has the authority to tell us what to do. And of course, that we bristle at that, don't we? We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And yet, God has the right. If He indeed is our God, He's our Creator, does He not have the right, the authority to command us? In other words, He's not an equal. We're all equals as creatures. But He's the Creator. I mean it'd be like, I know this, this seems facetious, but you know you, you, you make you make some toy soldier, and then all of a sudden he screams at you, you tell him to do something and he does something else. I mean, how would you feel your creature, your creation is screaming at you or disobeying you or walking away. You remember those of us who've brought up children. What was it like for a two-year-old to tell us what to do or to say that they're not going to do it? Come to the table. And they stay where they are. Come to the table. It's dinner time. Two-year-olds want to tell 40-year-olds what to do. and I mean, what a, what a picture of you and me, a creature saying no to God disobeying God. That's that's the fall of man. And that's the state of man today. God says yes, and we say no. And God says no, and we say yes. He's a superior. He's not giving us suggestions, options. You say, well, that's authoritarian. Well, he has a right not only to bear authority, but to be authoritarian. And there are times he is authoritarian when we say no. He says, do it or else. And... He has threats that he can carry out, and we read about them in the Bible. And I don't like to be spanked by the Lord. Do you? And thank God when He does chasten us and our children. And we never loved to be spanked, but we knew we knew we knew it was right. Though some of our some of us may have had parents that overdid things and were over the top, yet we knew we deserved it. And so we, you've heard of Lex Rex, law is king, and king is law, and that's that refers to the Lord, doesn't it? They 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 flew in the face of kings who who commanded things that were inappropriate and over the top, and they said, look, what's what, what law is really king, and what who what king is really law is the Lord Himself, and indeed you see Lex Rex over the Ten Commandments, but I want us to see grace. Grace. So often we look at the Ten Commandments as law, as as ominous, as dark, as do's and don'ts, or else. But the Lord came to the Israelites as a Redeemer. I am the Lord thy God, He doesn't say, who judges you. I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have saved you from slavery from the oppression of the Egyptians. So he gives the Ten Commandments as a Savior, not as a judge, though he is our judge, but as a Savior. That's grace. And as he as he reads these commands, five times we read, Thy God. Thy God. Personal. You're, you're, I'm your personal God. So he's saying, I'm coming to you and establishing a personal relationship with you. I'm being gracious to you. Though He's showing his glory at, and his greatness at, at Mount Sinai. He's showing his graciousness. That God is a God of grace. Or else, he would have destroyed the Israelites. They were as idolatrous as the Egyptians. Remember, the Israelites had to put blood on their doorposts. An Israelite who... Neglected the blood, and there's no record of anybody. But if there was a house of Israelites that said, "What's this blood shedding all about? I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to shed blood or paste it over my doorpost." There would have been a firstborn Israelite dead in that home if that had taken place. It's only through the blood of Christ that any of us can be saved. But the Decalogue. In, in picture here, obviously not every Israelite was a believer. But the the Decalogue is given to a redeemed people. Not every Israelite was redeemed in heart. But everyone that came out of Egypt was redeemed physically. As it were, the point is being made. You see, obedience is a measure of faith. is, is, a, is a proof of faith. So it's gracious of God to give us the Ten Commandments, as believers. And it shows us that we are that we believe in the Lord when we obey Him. And you know, again, that hymn that we sung last week, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The next thought, when you look at the Ten Commandments in an objective way, is love. Love. In other words, God came to them... In a cov- as the Ten Commandments are a covenant document. Exodus 19:5 says, "You'll keep my covenant." And notice the motivation for obedience in the Ten Commandments is not judgment; it's not uh, terror. He says, "To those who love me and keep my commandments." To a thousand generations I will bless them. But those who hate me and disobey my commandments, he'll judge to third and fourth. See the grace of God? T- to those who disobey, three and four generations are judged. But to those who obey, a thousands of generations. That's grace. It's not reversed. And in a sense, I can't help but think of a of a wedding, for instance, when you have marriage vows the typical marriage vows. Will you take this person? Will you have this person? Will you hold? Will you cherish? Will you be faithful till death do you part? So there's the covenant vows. And these are, in a sense, covenant vows. But obviously they're unilateral in one sense because he's the superior giving to inferior these vows. Where at a wedding you have equals. But here's really what's happening. He's saying as it were at this covenant scene he's saying will you have me as your only god yes lord will you make sure you don't make any images of me and bow down and worship them because i'm jealous it's like you know i know this is a again it's like me i don't have my wallet on me but it's like me having a a picture of tanya In my wallet, it's it's an image of her. But, you know, I look at the picture when she's away. But she comes home, and here she is, and I just keep looking at the picture. What about me? I'm here. I know, I really like your picture. We're focusing on the picture, and not the person. And the Lord knows we're like that. We focus on the image, what we can see, what we can feel, what we can hear. And the Lord is saying, no, I want you not to make any images of me. I'm invisible. I'm I'm spirit. And we're saying, yes, Lord. And He's saying, will you use my name appropriately, reverently, joyfully, and not misuse it? Yes, Lord. I'll take you as my God. I'll worship you appropriately. Will you... Be careful. I'm gonna set i set one day in seven aside especially for worship and service. Will you keep my day holy? And on and on. This is what's happening at Sinai. It's a covenant relationship being made. Covenant vows are being spelled out by the Lord. And the people said, Yes, Lord. And you and I if we're indeed redeemed, we look at these commandments and not as, not as cowering, as, as negative, but these are indicative of a relationship between the God of glory and a sinner saved by grace. And Jesus calls the church His bride. It's biblical. And yet we break our vows, don't we? And the Lord never breaks His vows. He has us as his children. You see, there is a reciprocal nature to this. And he also says, and I'm not going to quote the last six commandments, but what he's saying there is, will you make sure you treat my other creatures than yourselves appropriately? Leaders, be careful not to commit immorality against them. I want you to treat my creatures with respect. I will, Lord. I will. See, this, these commandments indicate God's love for us and His love that He wants us to have for one another. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see even the number itself. Ten. In the Bible, the number ten speaks of completeness. They're not nine commandments. Nothing is subtracted. They're not eleven. Jesus didn't give the eleventh commandment when He said, love one another. Nothing is to be added or subtracted. The number ten speaks of thoroughness. It's absolute. Remember the ten plagues in Egypt. This pictures the thorough nature of God's destruction. The ten days that Daniel said to prove uh, their vegetarian diet. There was nothing sacred or superstitious or you know there's nothing in, in, in a recipe that says you know in 10 days if you're on a certain diet you'll you'll really be healthy healthy and so on takes me a lot longer than 10 days but you know it's saying it's a, it's a, it's a, a complete amount of time it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good amount of time the 10 sons that, that, that Hannah's husband said am I not better than 10 sons If you had the completeness of ten sons, would that, you know, is that not, am I not better than that? And she would have to say, well, you're, you're a good husband, but no. (laughs) You know, I I would really like to have a child. And then the ten days of tribulation in Revelation chapter two obviously speaks of a complete amount of time when God is going to accomplish his purpose in the, the last days. The ten speaks of completeness. In other words, every imaginable category is covered. Nobody can say, you know, there's a there's a category that God didn't cover in man's life that's in the ten. It should have been the eleventh commandments. Or this category is is too much of an overlap. There should have been nine commandments. It's the wisdom of God. There are ten commandments and they cover every conceivable category of our existence. The category of honor of authority, number five. The category of immorality, number seven. The category of truth, number nine. You know what I'm saying. Every category is, is covered. It's the wisdom of God. James calls it a chain. That's the idea. If you break one, you break them all. They're all interrelated and there are ten links and there, it speaks of perfection the unchanging nature of God's commandments the fact they were given twice and in Deuteronomy you have the exact same words other than you include the Exodus in the fourth commandment in other words the Lord was saying it's universal in nature 40 years later it covers something 40 years earlier. In other words, the Lord is showing that every generation, the, the providence of God, just continues to include, is, in, uh, is included. All the, uh, all the works of God in, in the world are included in the fact that His commandments are relevant for each generation. You look at the Ten Commandments and you see their balance. Now, it seems imbalanced to us because there are two commandments that, that are positive and eight are negative. Isn't that imbalanced? Thou shalt uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor thy father and thy mother are positive. They're not given it thou shalt not. Every other commandment is thou shalt not. So, there are, there are eight prohibitions and, and two precepts. But they harmonize. In other words, as you read the Bible, you find that for every prohibition, there's a precept. And for every precept, there's a prohibition. It's just the Lord was summarizing His Word in in, in these Ten Commandments. But we understand the reason why most of them were given in negative form is because we're sinners. And we need the no's. You know, we need the do not step on do not touch the, the the um fresh paint you know do not walk on the grass the seed that's just been planted but what's our nature we just want it to you know is it is it really going to is it, maybe it's dry now or we want to step on that you know we just want to put our footmark in there you see fresh concrete what do you want to do That's the way we are. But you read the Bible and and all the negatives are in positive form. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We find so many verses. um, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That's saying, thou shalt have me as your God. Thou shalt not take my name in vain. It says, thou shalt swear by his name. Thou shalt not make it to thee any graven image. Thou shalt worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And then remember the Sabbath day will have a prohibition in the Bible. Do not profane the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah rebukes those who, 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 uh, trampled upon the Sabbath. And honor thy father and mother. There are commands. Thou shalt not curse your father and mother. Thou shalt not, you know, disrespect them. Thou shalt not kill. The Bible has commands about being your neighbor's keeper, uh, preaching the gospel to your neighbor and giving them life. Instead of taking their life, you want their life to be enhanced. You want their life to be saved. And so for every negative, there's a positive, and for every positive, there's a negative. The balance of the Ten Commandments is amazing. This is going to be part two of at least part three, brother and sister. So, please, if I told you there were there were 20 observations of the Ten Commandments, and there are, please don't count anymore because we're not going to be able to finish today. I was tempted to, to, to write in the bulletin 20 observations of the Ten Commandments, and I, I thought, as soon as they read that, they're going to be discouraged. They're going to be watching their watch. And they're going to be, no. Okay, I don't know which one we're on. I didn't enumerate them. We might be on five. We might be on eight. But just hang in there. Part three. But you know, I, I, I believe these are appropriate observations. The next one that we might consider is, is the fact that the Ten Commandments are divided in the relationship between God and man. As you look at the Ten Commandments, you find that the first four are focused on the Lord: "Thou shalt have no other gods." Uh, thou shalt have no other no other gods before Me. And then you have the second commandment of, of the Lord being jealous, of the third commandment His name, the fourth commandment His day, and then all of a sudden you go into our parents, and so on. And you see, there is a division. And if you read the New Testament, when the Lord the Lord summarizes, and He does it in the Old Testament, He summarizes the Ten Commandments with two commandments, which are the motives of obedience to the Ten Commandments. The first four, we believe, are summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus calls it the, the greatest commandment. What He's saying is, it's the, it's the... It's the summary of the first four commandments. But it's the greatest commandment because the Lord is the greatest person. The greatest responsibility you and I have is to love the Lord, not to love our neighbor first. How often we're idolaters? We love our neighbor, we love our friend, we love our parent more than God. And the truth of the matter is we can never love our neighbor the way we ought to if we don't love the Lord, our God, first of all. But we're idol- we're, we're idolaters. And so the, we're, we're, as we see the Ten Commandments, we see there's division. And when Jesus quoted, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, he quoted the last six commandments. And honor thy father and mother was under that umbrella of thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself some people will say isn't it five and five that number five should go with the first four because it, it, we're, we're, we're used to five and five we don't like four and six but just that's just the way it is the, the parent uh, our parent is our neighbor our parent is not our God and so and Jesus shows us that And you'll see that for instance Paul's enumeration of the 10 of the commandments when he quotes thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself as we read last week in in Romans 13, he quotes some of the last six. He doesn't quote the first four. And so we see there's a relate there are relationships. So the first four deal with man's relationship with God. And the final six, man's relationship with man. And even the fact that the God is first. Honor thy father and mother is not the first commandment. It's the first commandment with promise. But it's not the first commandment. It's what Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Love the Lord with all your heart. And so, the Lord is teaching us that He wants a relationship with us. And He wants us to relate with each other. We're not to be monks and nuns apart from each other. We're not to be self-centered and self-absorbed and hermits. The Lord wants us to interact with parents, with neighbors, brothers and sisters, have a relationship with people. And you find so often that people have a relationship with animals, but not with people. And I'd like to just close with this thought. Again, as you take a, an objective Telescopic view of the Ten Commandments. You know you see family life right at the center? Family life is right at the center. The fourth commandment is, is parents responsible for their children. And the fifth commandment is children responsible for their parents. But parents first. Parent, are you teaching your children that God is first? Are we setting aside a day so we can teach our children that the worship of God is priority? It's the beginning of the week, not the end of the week. The first day of the week is to worship the Lord. So parents are responsible for the religious instruction of our children. And again, they're categories. It's not just dealing with fathers and mothers in our homes, but are preachers honoring the Sabbath day and are we teaching the people of God, proper worship, proper preparation for worship, teachers to their students. Do teachers say, you know, you ought not to study on Sundays. Give God your your best. God will take care of you if you honor His day. And I remember the challenge that was to me. Statesman to a nation. Oh, that we would have a president that would say, if we would honor the Lord on his day. Oh, that God would be merciful to the United States of America. Do you know they used to have Sabbath conferences in the early part of the 1900s, late part of the 1800s. Presidents would send their representatives and people, physicians would represent the medical profession, lawyers, the the legal profession, teachers, the education profession, And the government would have representatives represent statesmen saying how important it is, not just for preachers and Christians to keep the Sabbath holy, but for medical professions, how it's going to help the people's health if they take a day to worship God and they they don't work seven days a week. We're killing ourselves. And even business people. It's just amazing. I had these books and they were burned in the fire. Old books, because obviously it doesn't happen anymore. And they said, "Even even your machines, if you stop them for a day, you'll prolong the life of your machine. It'll save you money in the long run. They would go to that extent, and they were right. And we have different ideas, don't we? Our ideas are better. So the Lord, the heart of the Ten Commandments, Family life. Parents responsible for the religious instruction of our children and in response. Look at the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Children responsible to be thankful, to facilitate our our duties. So it deals with not just the family, but the church, the nation, businesses, how employees should honor their employers, how businesses would run better if the employer's Respected their employees and facilitated their days off and their 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 uh, balance of labor and rest and their fairness and how it would run better if the employees would respect employers and give a good day's work and not cheat behind their backs. See, God is perfect. Family life at the very center, the fourth and fifth commandments. God cares for families. He loves to save families. He saved his four brothers, didn't Jesus? He endured his four unbelieving brothers for 30 years or so. And it wasn't until after he died that he saved them. He saved Lydia and her family. We read of the salvation of families in the Bible. He included two sets, at least two sets of brothers among the apostles. He used two of his brothers to write New Testament books. The promise is unto you and to your children and to as many as are far off, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Oh, we can say how exceeding broad are your commandments. Could I just end by letting Scripture conclude our study, our overview today? Isaiah 42.10, Magnify the law and make it honorable. Romans 3.31, Shall we make void the law through faith? Nay, we establish the law. Romans 7.12, The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Do you know the last beatitude of the Bible is Revelation 22.14, Blessed are they that do His commandments. Last Beatitude of the Bible. And let me go back to the Old Testament. You know what it says is the blessing upon a man or a woman? Look at Psalm or Psalm one hundred twelve, verse one Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. See how it'll affect his family, his seed shall be mighty upon the earth. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. May God bless His Word to our hearts.